Hello and welcome to The Sanctuary, a safe space to speak from the heart. I'm your host, Israel, and my guest today is Sharifa. Um, you know, Sharifa is a model, presenter, mental health activist, plant-based, and Sharifa is also a runner. Thanks for coming to The Sanctuary today. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh yeah, I'll start with running because that's something I just do not get. <laughs> How did you get into running? <laughs> um, do you know it's a really funny question because a lot of a lot of people ask me this, and I think running has been part of my life for a long time. I remember the first time I I wanted to go, and we have in the UK this thing called uh, Cancer Research uh, UK, and it's a a platform, obviously, that a charity that fundraisers for cancer research and I remember seeing one of these 5k um you could like run it or you could walk it and I think I was probably about 16 years old I was wasn't very old and I remember saying to my mom should we should we give it a go like I don't come from a very active family and and my mom was like wow no well it's gonna be too difficult we're gonna have to walk it I remember walking along and it was a really beautiful sunny day and thinking those people are running it and I want to be running it. And so I think that was my introduction into running. Um, it was more, I was always interested in the challenges that you could do and, and the ways that you could um, fundraise and, and use it as an opportunity to get people talking about things. So I guess mm. that's my, that was my introduction into running. Um, around my first 10K, I think when I was 21, just graduated from drama school. So, well, dance and drama school. So. I was pretty fit at the time and 10K was like nothing to me. <laughs> so it's, now 10K is so difficult, um, 10 years on, you know. So, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's how, how I go into it. And how do you prepare for these races you run? Pardon? How do you prepare for the races you run? Um, so how do I prepare? <laughs> I mean, you have to train. Like, I think... I used to, when I was a bit younger, I used to just kind of turn up and hope for the best. And my young, <laughs> able body was able to just kind of carry me without any injuries. But um, mm -hmm. the, the more you start, I start running like long, I've started running longer distances now. So when you get to like running, you know, 15 miles and half marathons, um, you really do have to train. So I do have a little schedule. I have this giant wall calendar and it has um the days that i run and then the days that i do other things like i swim i row um i so cross training i do yoga in between to like stretch and rest so i do I, i'm generally quite an active person and i do just um i don't just run i think it's really important to remember that you can't just run you have to do other stuff as well and that's mm. definitely something i learned along the way um and after running my half marathon and feeling like I was not going to make it to the end. Um, and I had a lot of like pain afterwards. I've learned lots of different ways that you can um, prepare your body for that. So I would definitely recommend cross training. And stuff. Yeah. Um, one of the things on your Instagram is uh, um, how one of these races you did, I think last year, what maybe two years ago, um, f f it was a 10K. Was it a London 10K, I think? That was it, it was covered by the runner's world and it was you and a lot of ladies running in their <laughs> undergarments. 
yeah, that happened. <laughs> I'm just laughing because I'm just remembering. I'm remembering the day and I'm remembering the underwear and I'm remembering running past the Queen's house um, in, my, <laughs> in my knickers, which was great. Yeah, so that was um, the Vitality 10K and it was a right, right, yes. group of us and we were the Celebrate You women. So um, it was basically to celebrate and, and reclaim our bodies and, you know, kind of do something different. It was an amazing amazing day like very liberating <laughs> mm. yeah um i remember and you know so the there was this little clip that was run i think it was by runners world and the lady and one of the things that stood up for me was that you know it's like you it, it ended up being a really hot day so you were pretty much dressed for the weather yeah we were like it was the best day i went home with the most epic tan i mean i did have some tan lines <laughs> but um it was a perfect day for it and honestly I, you look at athletes and that is how these sprinters, they, they dress right. like that. And I guess right. it's, um, it's interesting because I think society has made us, you know, anyone who, who doesn't have this conventionally attractive, and I'm using air quotation marks for anyone who's listening to this, um, conventionally attractive um, body. It's, I think society has tried to make us feel ashamed of that. And this is a way, you know, I'm a size 18 to 20 woman uh, running along in my underwear. I'm not an athlete, um, but there's no reason why I can't run like that if I want to. If they can run like that, I could run like that. And I think mm -hmm. it was a really um, powerful moment for all the women running it, because I do think that a lot of us, particularly women, are made to feel ashamed um, about mm. their body if it's not that perfect body. So it was really uh, an inspiring and powerful day. Mm. Yeah. Um, and now, like, do you run just to run or do you like have to start practicing when the race is coming? Do I run just like do just, I just for the fun of the it? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> That's crazy. I wouldn't do that. I'm like, no. <laughs> no, my gosh. So, so for me, I again, I love the challenge. I love the challenge mm -hmm. of being like if someone says, can you run 10k i'm like no but i'm gonna try or um <laughs> you know can you run a marathon i'm like no but i'm gonna try some i'm a very i'm a very challenge driven person i need an end goal otherwise mm -hmm. there is no way that i'm getting out of bed there is no way that i'm not gonna sleep in if i don't have that goal and something to hold me accountable the running is just not gonna happen <laughs> uh... so i find running probably the hardest sport like mm. swimming and cycling. Swimming, I actually find very difficult, but I enjoy it more. I'm not as good at it mm. though. Um, and cycling, I love and would would do that for fun. But running for me is more like a challenge that I know is great for my body. And so, mm. and, I, and when I do run for a long time, I, I do start to really enjoy it. But every run ever that I've ever done in my whole life, I've dreaded it. <laughs> I will dread my run Wait, tomorrow. during or after or before? The, during, at the beginning, somewhere in the middle, perhaps. Uh, it's only at the end. I'm like, yes, this was great. <laughs> there are moments. There are always moments that I'm like, this is amazing. Like the, so the right song is playing. The wind is blowing in the right direction. You know, there are definitely moments that I love. And I, I do experience that run as high but mm. which kind of keeps me coming back, I think. But generally speaking, like I 
I think I've always loved running for the community aspect. I'm such a people person. <laughs> like, I just love <laughs> being around people and, you know, but being around people in a way that's not just going to the bar or, um, you know, going out with your friends. Like it's actually something that's inspiring everyone and encouraging us all to do something good. I know it sounds really cheesy um, and like I'm doing a Miss World speech there, but um, <laughs> I, I do, I love it. I think it's nice and it's wholesome and families come and it's lovely. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know, you mentioned something just now about community. Uh, you love that, you know, and love being with people. How was it for you during the lockdown the last year? Yeah, that's a good question. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's been a very challenging year. Um, I don't want to go into a woe is me moment <laughs> because mm -hmm. we all, we all dealt with a very difficult time globally. Um, a great saying that somebody said to me recently was, um, we're not all in the same boat but we are all in the same storm. So that really rang true for me. Um, I think my challenge was being alone. Um, I live by myself in London, um, in a little flat and in the height of winter, <clears throat> pardon me, in the height of winter where there was no greenery and it was freezing cold. And unfortunately our COVID cases and, and deaths were rising quite rapidly. Um, it was a difficult time. Like my mental health really struggled, but I, my situation is definitely not unique. I think um, some people were surrounded by their families or their friends, but they may have felt that loneliness because it's that, um, <clears throat> that classic saying of you can be in a crowded room, but you can still feel alone. And I think sometimes yeah. you, you need those, those few people that you really connect with Sometimes you just need yeah. to be with those people. So, um, yeah, it was a hard year. It was really challenging. But, I, yeah, I don't think it's unique to me. <laughs> <laughs> mm, and uh, what things helped you uh, cope and, you know, live through it? Wow. So I really had to exercise my coping strategies. I think because, again, I'm such a people person. I'm not used to being by myself. So being plunged into this lockdown and being completely alone was a new thing for me. Um, some people are great at being by themselves. Like my friends who were only child, like they're only child, they're fine. <laughs> they were like, this is, this is my life. Like I, I, had, right. I have siblings, you know, so um, I really had to learn how to be by myself and mm. I had to go through it. Like I had to kind of sit with myself and those uncomfortable things and do a bit of inner work. I had to, I, a lot of reading. I read everything. Um, <laughs> I, I really went into full self-development mode as well. Like I mm. wasn't able to focus on my work because most of my work and contracts were cancelled. So I had to just really try and make the best of it. I was mindfulness colouring. I was meditating. I was, but then on other days I was sleeping till noon and crying until midnight, oh. you know, I, it, I was just taking it each day as it comes. But I think, again, yeah. I think we all were. I really, I connected a, with a lot of people on social media. I think that was a bit of a lifeline for me. And I know it's going to sound really strange, but I've never used social media 
in the way that I used it this year. This year, I felt like I had this extended family and we were all sharing what we were up to. And um, when I caught coronavirus in January, I can't believe how many messages I had. I had hundreds of messages, people saying, I'm in London. If you want me to bring you any food to your doorstep, then I can definitely do that. So um, social media became like a real community for me. So yeah, there was, um, of course I stayed on top of, I tried to stay on top of my exercise as much as possible, but when the motivation wasn't there, I had to just like release the guilt. (laughs) Mm, And you know, mm. I had moments of, I, I used to have an eating disorder, so I had, moments of um slipping back into my old habits um with my disordered eating when it came to food which could be eating too much or eating too little so i really Mm. had to pay attention to that but yeah it was a lot of self-work a lot of maintenance a lot of crying yeah but um but there was also some good times too and i turned vegan which was great (laughs) that was another thing so I was watching a live you did. I can't remember with who, but it was great. And you were sharing and you're talking about actually being fully plant-based. What was the, so was it like uh, the experience you had during the lockdown that made you go full uh, plant-based? There are so many reasons. I don't know where to start. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, okay. So this year, we've had a chance to, I think a lot of us have had a chance to really reflect on our lives and ourselves, but also the world we live in. And maybe um, some things have been highlighted globally this year that we wouldn't have all paid attention to, like Black Lives Matter um, and, you know, uh, lots lots of issues that are going on in the world that normally, if our lives were just as they were, we would probably not pay attention. But this year, it's been like everything has had a a microscope held up to it. And for me, that microscope has been the environment and has been all of the issues that we're facing when it comes to um, climate change and Mm. what it really means. And so when I said I read a lot, I spent a lot of time reading books and scientific studies and becoming a bit obsessed with um, the environment and how how can, can I reduce my impact? So I kind of started with making those eco-friendly switches like the change the shampoo and change the cleaning products and biodegradable this and less plastic. And But mm. what I discovered, and I actually discovered this from Plant-Based News, which is a great platform that I, I love and I, I follow um, really closely, is that the leading cause of climate change is animal agriculture. And it's responsible for, I don't want to get the statistic wrong, so I'm not going to say it. (laughs) I have a horrible (laughs) habit of saying statistics that I just make up, but it's a lot, it's a lot. So I'm just going to say research that, um, but but that's that's definitely um, a very big part of it. And so I thought my big, the biggest, the best thing that I can do is, is make changes to my diet But I also thought that potentially um, it might be good for my IBS because um, I read a great book from the Plant Power Doctor talking about the the health benefits of plant-based living on IBS. And I suffered with IBS for about four years, um, quite badly to the point of where I actually went to hospital once in Australia. 
Yeah, because I was so um, ill with it. So I really was struggling with it and nothing had seemed to help. I'd gone on the low FODMAP diet. I'd cut things out. um, I tried everything. And amazingly, after about a week of going on this plant-based diet, my IBS that I struggled with so much completely disappeared. And it's it's been about four and a bit months now since I've gone to whole foods plant-based living and mm. my ibs is practically not non-existent so um wow this for me is like an amazing transformation and i felt like i really wanted to share this with my <clears> audience <throat> which is why i was reaching out to different platforms plant-based pa- platforms to kind of talk about this but yes yeah, so i think my reasons would be the environment um health but also um yeah in my reading and my research I learned about mm. animal agriculture and how horrendous it is. I, I always knew that it was bad, but um, learn, you know, seeing the suffering and the the pain caused to mm. to the animals. Um, I think, you know, I love dogs. I love cats. Um, why are pigs and cows and sheep any different? And if we have alternatives and, you know, this is, um, it can be quite a contentious topic because um, not everyone is able to eat vegan. Um, I, I do believe that there is a level of privilege to eating vegan, but I think for those who can access it yeah. easily, um, I think it's great to try and make as many switches as possible because mm. um, it's when you actually kind of learn about what goes on within animal agriculture, it's horrendous. And I, you know, I think I don't really want to be part of that. So those are my reasons <laughs> that's the end of my ted talk <laughs> <laughs> sorry um <laughs> <laughs> uh, well like you know does it get difficult though um i mean if it's been what like a couple of months now four four months honestly yeah. absolutely not it has mm. probably been the best thing and much easier than I imagined. So I used to be a vegan. I was a vegan six years ago. And mm. for, for um, it was actually more for the animals six years ago because I'd learned about animal agriculture back then. Mm. Um, and I really struggled to keep up my vegan diet because six years ago, the access to vegan food was limited. You'd go you'd go out for a day and there would be no lunch. <laughs> like you'd have to pack <clears throat> everything, all your lentils and everything. But now it's like, I'm, I live in London. It's like everywhere you turn, there's a vegan option. So mm. it is definitely, again, that's, um, that's, that's again a level of privilege. You know, not everyone, London is an expensive place to live in itself. So um, not everyone has access to those things. So I haven't found it particularly difficult and I also haven't missed meat or dairy because of the fact that I just feel so much better better yeah and I think once you realize that I think we all have this myth that if you turn plant-based you're gonna die and you're not gonna get enough protein and you're gonna be (laughs) anemic and you're gonna be like this and honestly I I thought those things myself I thought if I eat too much soy then I'm gonna have too much estrogen that's gonna damage my hormones and this is gonna happen but after reading and researching so many books and and following loads of different platforms, I've come to learn that a lot of this stuff is just a myth. 
And we don't really need, and again, this is going to be an unpopular opinion, but I truly believe this. I don't believe that we need to eat animal products at all to to survive. Um, yeah. The only argument that, that you really tend to hear is, well, where will you get your B12 from? Because B12 comes from beef, generally. Um, but B12 actually comes from soil. That's originally where it comes from. So... Um, and there's a lot of argument to say that we are herbivores. We're supposed to actually eat. We're not omnivores. We're not supposed to actually eat meat. But again, that's going to be an unpopular opinion. So I'll probably just <laughs> stop that one there. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I've become obsessed with all these platforms. And obviously, I'm not an expert. So I can only speak on what I've learned. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it's great because you took this decision and changed things in your life and it's actually working better for you now. But one of the things I also love about your Instagram is how hmm, you kind of just put everything out there. There's a post you had on there that talks about broken veins. I don't know if you recall. Yeah. And like, you know, you're writing this thing and it's something you've had for years and years and years and you've struggled with. But the, the photo that came with that, caption was like putting all their bear when 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 you take such photos and you're putting in and you're writing such a caption like how i guess what 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 is the process for that just you know from you how you're thinking of it and then actually going through and doing it yeah i think that that's a really interesting question um the process for me is i always want to put this stuff out there because the beauty standard is not only problematic, but I think it's it's truly life-threatening for some people. Um, wow. When we look at eating disorders and we look at the, you know, we look at um, deaths relating to that, and you think about how, I mean, obviously when it comes to eating disorders, I can only speak briefly on it. Um, you know, I do believe that 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 we can attribute these beauty standards to to some of these eating disorders. You know, you have for, for generations we've had these models that are the same size, they're the same color, they don't have cellulite, they don't have broken veins, they don't have stretch marks. They are these perfect <laughs> anomalies, and for some reason even though we know that nobody actually looks like that because they've been mm. air, airbrushed and edited, we still, because of capitalism, thank you, capitalism, we still mm. um, want to look like this. And people die because of these beauty standards. That is my, it's very dramatic, but, I, but that is really my belief system that people, wow. people die and young women and men struggle with their body image. And I think that these images play a huge role in that and mm. when i post on instagram of course like i like to put on a bit of makeup and put on a nice dress and look nice um everyone does and everyone should be able to but i also want to show and remind people that yes i am a model but i'm far from perfect you know i'm a i'm a plus size model i'm size 18 i have rolls i have stretch marks i have cellulite and this is something I had cellulite from the, from when I was 14 years old. And wow. 
you know, I think we need to rewrite the narrative around what these things mean. This doesn't mm. mean if you have cellulite or broken phase, it doesn't mean you're broken. It doesn't mean you're not beautiful. It doesn't mean you're not worthy. And so mm. a big thing that I want to do online is, and it's kind of a thing I've always had for myself. If I'm going to exist in the online space, I have to add value. And as soon ah. as I stop adding value, I will delete my social media. <laughs> you know, <laughs> my social media, I, I, do, I do monetize it to a certain degree, but um, with only a few brands and only the ones that really reflect my values. Otherwise, I actually turn down more partnerships than I take to my detriment. Oh. <laughs> to my detriment. Um, and I think, I, I think because social media can be incredibly powerful and I don't want to just give my platform over to brands who are yeah. creating these impossible beauty standards. I care more about, um, I just think about me when I was a little girl and I never saw anyone with an Afro. I never saw anyone with my body size being represented in in a way that wasn't like a joke, you know. It'll always have you'll always have the quote unquote fat funny woman actor, you know. You you won't have the um, strong, the powerful, the curvy, the beautiful. Um, that's that wasn't a thing, and so I, I'd love to see those barriers being broken down. And I think if I can try and do that, just um, not saying I'm all those things, but <laughs> you know, I would love to try and um, and and showcase these things in a different light from from what we already see them as. That was a really long-winded answer again, wasn't it? No, Sorry. no, 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 no. That was great. Like you know, you you put it all together because uh, it's not just that post. There are so many posts. There's like the one where you were um, exercising and you're talking about the jiggle. You know, it's like. They are different posts, but it's kind of just talking about the same thing in a way, like, you know, in the same category, like you have to accept the body you are living in. And it's so powerful. But you mentioned, you know, introducing you that you're a model, one of the biggest agencies in the world. How did that happen? How did <laughs> it is true. Um, how did that happen? <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> How, how did that happen? How did you get to work with Wilhelmina? How did it happen? Um, so, mm. gosh, I was I was actually rags to riches story here, but I was um, scouted when I was like twenty one, I think, in Oxford Circus. So um, very generic by a different agency, and I had actually been um, a couple of people had said to me you should really get into modeling. You know, you should, you should try it. And I was like, oh no, I can't do that. And um, anyway, I got scouted by a couple of agencies and eventually went in to see, um, sent my pictures off to see an agency and, and got signed on the day. Um, did some great work with them and then ended up moving on to uh, Models One, which was another big agency. And I was with them for some time, but they were always, um, wanting me to change my hair and, and make my hair, straighten my hair. And they wouldn't let me wear my hair natural. And I kept saying, you know, I, I, I think if you just let me wear my hair natural, then, then things will be like, I'll be working more. And they were like, no, no, that's not what the clients want. So I was wearing all these wigs and um, eventually I got fed up of it. And I said, I don't want to wear these wigs anymore. I don't want to subscribe to this Eurocentric beauty standard. And I don't see why I should have to. 
So mm-hmm. <laughs> lo and mm-hmm. behold, um, I said that to them and I basically didn't work for a couple of years. I ended up working in a restaurant and going back to being a cleaner and doing some teaching assistant work. And <laughs> you know, there's me cleaning the toilet thinking I could have been a model. <laughs> Um, but you know I just really I was really unhappy um, trying to be something that I'm not and then I was um, I was offered and I think it was 2017 I was offered a contract with Bella Management in Australia and they were like we want to give you a contract fly over here we think we've got some work for you and so um, I I was like okay (laughs) I'm working in this restaurant. Like I am signed with the big agency, but I'm not really working. And I remember getting off the plane and I got a text message on my phone pretty much as soon as I landed. Sharifa, you have a job. You have a campaign tomorrow. But did you bring your wig? Because we want you to wear your wig. I know. And my my heart sank. You know, I've flown to the other side of the world. My heart sank. And when I saw my, um, when I saw my, um model card it had a picture of me with straight hair on the front and even though i was actually ready to get back on that plane and just go back home um as i was sending this message i said look um no sorry i did i i went to i found a hairdresser in sydney that's it i got my wig put on i did the job and then and then as soon as the job was finished i messaged my agent and i said thank you so much for the opportunity however I don't want to be in this country and be modeling with wigs on. This is basically what I've tr- I'm trying to reinvent myself. And um, I said, please change my headshot on my on my model card. And I was like panicking as I was sending this message, like absolute anxiety. Because when a big agency offers mm-hmm. you it says, you know, come and work with us, you don't want to be like, yeah. I don't want to do what you're telling me to do. Um, mm. Anyway, anxiety is I was sending this. I sent it, and about two minutes later. I got a message back from my booker, Catherine, and she said, okay, no problem. And she <laughs> changed my headshot to a picture of me with um, Afro hair. And from there, I booked so much work. I think it was the most I'd ever worked. I was on, I worked with every brand. I was, I was on telly. I was on billboards. I was with my natural hair. And that was the last right. time I ever wore a wig. And so um, when I came back uh, half, I was there for two years. And when I came back halfway through um, the, the year, I, I visited Wilhelmina. And that's when I was like, I'm back from Australia for a bit. And here's the work that I've been doing. Um, and they were like, great. Well, we'll take you. So I, I signed with Wilhelmina um, when I came back from Australia. Um, yeah. a, about a year later, I, I started working with them pretty consistently and then that was history and they're wonderful so and they they get my vision and (laughs) they don't ever tell me I have to change my hair unless I want to and um yeah they really respect that so they're an amazing agency so I'm really grateful to be with them yeah no I mean I I I think that's the thing when a person you know like this is me and I know I look good this way and I know I'll feel like I think when we change things about ourselves. We are not as comfortable and that comes off, you know, especially doing what you do where you're like in front of cameras all day. The camera just picks up all the tiny little things because you're not feeling comfortable wearing the wig or whatever. But when you're in a natural hair and you're just yourself, like, you know, it's like a sparkle just comes through and it shows it. It shows in your photos. 
Um, like, you know, because you have, like, your model card on the Wilhelmina website. It's like, wow, you know, oh, outstanding. You. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, did COVID change anything at all or a lot? Um, yeah. So I want I want to add something to what you just said there. I also want right, to right, say right. that um, to, to anyone listening to this, um, I, I support um black women being able to wear their hair in whatever way they see fit or black or brown or mixed race or whoever um but i think it should always be your choice and that is the issue that i have and i think that for me felt like a modern day version of oppression being told that i had to change my hair to have an opportunity in the industry and that was the problem um so i just mm. want to point out that i don't feel that um women wearing their hair in their way is they can wear their hair however they like so mm. that's it. Um, no it's and- true because like the thing that made you feel uncomfortable was that they made you wear your hair the way you didn't want to wear it so yeah no thanks for pointing that out yeah. but like you know and- i mean you you're doing all these jobs getting all these bookings then covid happened that had to affect things right <laughs> definitely um i think in the first week of COVID happening, every contract that I had or every job I had coming up, I remember that week opening my inbox and not wanting to read my emails because Mm. it was like, this job is canceled. I had, I had um, lots of clients overseas. So um, France and Germany, I'm signed um, in different places around the world. So my, my clients that I would travel internationally to go and see, um, I could no longer work with them. Um, I, I think I had a, ca- a five day uh, location shoot coming up that was cancelled. So and what, what I do when I have bookings is I write down, you know, the amount of money that is expected to come in um, on a little spreadsheet. And I just had to go through the spreadsheet and, and just cross them all off. <laughs> just watch my poor bank account saying, right, oh, do right. even know? Um, I think at the time it was quite stressful because there was no guidance for what was going to happen. It was just like, sit tight, stay home. You can't leave the house. You can't work. And, you know, work from home if you can. I'm like, how do I work from home? (laughs) I model. Mm. And at the time I wasn't really doing that much work on social media either. So um, my ways to make money became very stressful. Um, So this year has been a lot of, pivoting, navigating, um, <laughs> um, innovating. And um, luckily, like in between, I've been really fortunate because as soon as the lockdowns lifted, um, clients would then suddenly start shooting again. So those things have semi-sustained me and um, social media. But yeah, it has been a difficult year and it's been a lot of, um, um, there wasn't support for everyone. There was support for um certain people if you fall through the cracks then it's a little bit like fend for yourself um (laughs) which again i'm sure a lot of people can relate to um but you know this is the life and we are all still here well anyone who's listening Mm, to this is still mm, here so mm, mm. i have to just count my chickens while i can and hopefully um i think things are starting to pick up again Um, yeah, then you mentioned your social media. Let's talk about that because I, I know you mentioned this. And I'm like, you have a ton of following, and you're like, no, you don't, but you do. You do. Um, how did you know you build your following on Instagram specifically? 
And how do you handle your Instagram? Because, you know, we talked about you putting, like, really vulnerable, really this is me posts. But, like, how do you navigate that? And, like, this got to be, like, it's the internet, right? They're always trolls and assholes. <laughs> yeah, there's lots, of, there's lots of trolls and there's lots of assholes. Um, but I think they always <laughs> outweigh the good people um, because my Instagram community typically have been very lovely and um i i dm pretty much everyone back so um, my friends think i'm crazy they're like sharifa you can't dm back twenty-eight thousand people I'm like i can and i will <laughs> and do you know what i had the time to this year so um i but, but you know so i get a lot of the same people commenting and um which is which is really wonderful but I think as my as my following grows, then obviously I get start to get different demographic and new people. And every time I get more followers, I do start to feel a bit more anxious. Um, my I didn't purposefully grow a following. I think it just came naturally with the work that I was doing. So um, when I do a big campaign or if I did something that went viral or um, like model, modeling wise or, you know, I used to be involved in lots of body positivity campaigns. So anything like that. I would then kind of get followers from that or any press that I've done or uh, news related stuff. The followers kind of came that way. Um, mm. I don't actively grow my following and I'm really impressed with influencers who can do that because it's difficult. <laughs> it's really hard, <laughs> really hard. And you have to, it's, a, it's an art. Like you have to know what's trendy and you know, but mm. I don't really post like that. I just really post about things that I care about and things I want to talk about and hope that people are interested. And I think most of the time people seem to be fairly interested, so that's good. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I am quite vulnerable online, but I think I need to manage that and have a few more boundaries because I recently had some death threats on my social media and that was quite scary. Um, mm. And the, the death threat that I did get was somebody saying that they knew where I lived and Shit. they were correct with the where I lived. So that that was a worry. And luckily I'm moving house soon. So um Whoa. Sorry about that. Like oh, that's I mean okay. you, when <laughs> you get you, such a thing it? like <laughs> <laughs> I knew there was something about your face. <laughs> <laughs> but like um i mean when you get something like that you you have to turn it into the police right um do you know what i was actually really shaken up about it and i didn't and i'm i feel silly because i should have done but i de deleted it and blocked it um mm. and reported but i didn't and everyone was like so what did the police say i was like um yeah. It's hard to say what they would have said. <laughs> right. So right, I right, didn't, right. but I will make sure that I do it next time. And I, I only had um, one like, and maybe I should still, I don't know if I should message, just give them, drop them a line and just let them know. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it was, yeah, it's, it's difficult sometimes. Social media is hard. And I think this year also has, I think people are upset this year. This has been a really horrible, difficult year. There's so much going on. And I think you can kind of feel that, like when you read the comments on big accounts and a lot of my influencer friends have, have said this, you know, people are just at each other's throats and there's no release. And, um, you know, lots of people are still in, in lockdowns at the moment. And mm. uh, obviously in the UK, we're not, but 
there's so much going on. So I also try to have a bit of compassion and remember that these people, they don't, they don't know me. Um, they just know what I choose to post. Right. And um, so I think it's really important that I like remember that I am not my Instagram. And if someone says something about me, I'm like, well, that's not me. That's that's my representation of me that you see. <laughs> I mean, it is mm. mostly me. But um, someone said to me once, gosh, Sharifa, I know everything about your life. And I thought, well, you really don't. <laughs> <laughs> if, you did, if you did, I'm not sure you would still follow me. You know, you don't. Um, you never. I think it's always important. To, even if someone, I'm, I'm authentic with what I say. I never yeah. tell lies on social media. Um, but you know, I don't share everything. I think that would be mm. strange if I did. <laughs> <laughs> I know it wasn't me, by the way. <laughs> sure. Okay. Well. Yeah, that's not um, what I've heard. so you know another thing that you're really passionate about is mental health why oh i'm very passionate about mental health oh for so many reasons um i think the main the main thing just being that i think it's still not considered as important as physical health and Mm. i find that shocking because there's no health without mental health and um the stigma that goes with mental illness and uh, even just talking about your own mental health, I think is, feels like we're living in a different time. It doesn't feel like we're living in 2021. Um, Mm. So I'm really passionate about, um, I'm an ambassador for uh, the suicide prevention charity Calm, which is the leading charity um, in male suicide prevention and, you know, male suicide is the biggest killer of men under the age of 45 in the UK. So it's wow. a huge, huge issue. You know, we're, we're comfortable talking about, we're not comfortable, but we, there will be no, um, no shame or no judgment if someone talks about having cancer or having a broken leg or having, um, you know, any other, any, a lot of illnesses. But as soon as people talk about suicide or, mental health i think it's always treated very differently by mental health professional well, not well not prof- mental health professional but healthcare professionals and and people in society you know it's uncomfortable conversation so i like to try and talk about it openly um mm. and in a very nonchalant way because to me we should just be having these conversations i don't see why it should be any different to any other conversation relating to health mm. yeah yeah and you know i mean one thing i've learned is that the more you talk about it the easier it gets to talk about it definitely and if we know that the um the way to help people with their mental health problems is talking then surely that is the the freest cheapest (laughs) you know well cheapest um, easiest way that we can help people and help each other towards better health um, mm. is is to create a safe space for for people to speak openly about these things. I think so much of um, what people struggle with is having to deal with these things alone and not being able mm. to tell anyone or having shame to tell their employer or their friends and family that they're ha- they're depressed or anxious or wh- whatever's happening in their life. So. 
um yeah i think it's really important that we talk about it more yeah no i agree with you too but um uh oh god I just look at the time we're running somewhat out of time, but I'll let you go soon. Um, but I wanted to talk about your work with presenting. That's uh, something you are kind of doing now. Do you want to talk a bit more about that? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'm signed with an agency called United Agents. Um, I was really happy when they uh, took me on, actually, because they've got some great presenters on their books and um, they're a really great, recognizable agency. And they've helped me a lot to kind of build up my showreel. But um, presenting was, uh, before the pandemic, was actually really starting to pick up for me. I I booked two jobs. Um, One was in, uh, gosh, I don't remember where now, somewhere out of the country, (laughs) somewhere away. (laughs) And um, yeah, I was starting to uh, really book some good stuff. And then lockdown happened, and I think budgets cut and... and, um, I feel like I've kind of taken a small step back, but um, still managed to um, to make some money through presenting this year, which is really exciting. And um, something I've always loved and always been really passionate about, And um, but actually didn't really have the confidence to try. No. Um, so I think it was years ago that I was like, I think I want to try presenting. And then I remember working with this girl who said to me, oh, don't bother to try presenting. You know, it's really difficult and you're never going to be, you You know, they only have a few presenters and there's no point in trying to so just give up. And wow. I was really young and I was like, okay then. So I just, I was so scared that I just didn't, yeah. didn't give it a go and I was too afraid to um, try it out. But then I, when, I remember when I was a waitress and people would say to me, gosh, you should be a presenter you'd be a really good presenter. <laughs> and I remember this lady, um, what was her name? Steph Wagstaff. I remember she was a producer of this TV show called Wife Swap. And I remember serving her table. And at the end, she came up to me and she said, you really need to not be a waiter. You need to be a presenter. Like you are wasted in this job. Please go and do that. <laughs> then obviously I went off to Australia and. Um, kind of uh, did a bit of presenting work when I was there. And then when I came back, I thought, yeah, I'm going to give it a bit of a go and got yeah. my agent. And since then it's, yeah, it's building. So um, I definitely, it's a really, um, it's a very difficult job. Um, mm. It's quite saturated in the UK <clears throat> and there's lots of presenters and only a few spots. So, um, you know, but I'm always, when I book anything, I'm always pleased that anyone wants to hire me and, um, <laughs> feeling positive about where it can head to yeah yeah wow um what do you love about presenting though what i love about presenting gosh um i think it's just like having the power to reach people Mm. and you know the i don't really see myself on entertainment game show tv you know I actually feel more inspired by like um, presenters like Stacey Dooley and um, people who are kind of using that platform to have great conversations or um, it make positive change. And so I think like anything, I think when you have a platform and you're able to communicate with people, you can just, there's so much power in that. Mm. Like if you were to 
you know, of all the shows and all the presenters, you mentioned one that inspires you, but if you were to present a show that's out there on TV, which one would it be? My gosh. Um, if I was to present a show that was out there on TV, which one would it be? My gosh, it's hard to say, isn't it? I should probably know the answer to this. <laughs> <laughs> Can I make up a new show? <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah. Something something to do with uh, diversity and representation or something to do with the environment, I think. Oh. <laughs> There's loads of shows about the environment. I don't... I can't think of one specifically, but yeah, it'd be something along the lines of that. Mm. Talking about diversity, and, you know, one of the posts you had on your Instagram is the, is the Vogue one. Do you know? Remember this? And you mentioned something I didn't know that, like, they've only had one black photographer in years and years and years. <laughs> that was I, shocking I to, to find out. I have to laugh, honestly, because it's, I mean, this is the industry. And I think even though, I guess not a lot of people would see it from the other side. Like people see the images that that these brands put out, but they don't see what happens behind the scenes. Mm. And um, in the modeling industry, in my experience of working in Australia, New Zealand, France and Germany, um, the UK, um, and, and briefly with a few US brands as well. In my experience, um, it's a very white industry <laughs> and there's not a lot of uh, decision makers that are of a diverse um, origin. <laughs> it mm. is, it, um, I think, and I don't really know why that is, um, but I really hope that we can change that soon because I think it shows in the advertising. We can see when things are quite tokenistic or um, performative, you know, including mm -hmm. one black person and one Asian person and one LGBTQIA plus person and one plus size person. And, you know, let's just have one of each, like a pick and mix, but you can tell they don't really mean it. And, um, that, and I think you can also tell that because they only have one view, which is that <clears throat> very biased um, view of what beauty is, probably um comes from comes from the you know of course naturally um white people are probably going to think that white people are the most attractive <laughs> mm. i mean that that's my guess but i think that would make sense wouldn't it so yeah. i think that is reflected in the beauty standard and it's reflected in advertising um, and I, I do believe it comes from this kind of white system, which we need to break down and um, hopefully we can infiltrate and have some more black photographers and Asian makeup artists and, you know, like a, a whole plethora of people creating these images. And I think we will have so much more um, color and, and beauty in the images that we see. So, yeah. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's almost like listening to a song on the radio. You know how, like, maybe there's a song, the first time you hear it, you cannot stand it. And then it just plays on the radio every time you come on. So one day you find you're singing along. That's kind of how it is with, like, the modeling thing. Because, like, if that's what you see subconsciously, you just think that's what it should be when that isn't reflecting the real world, you know? 
That is so true. And uh, I agree with you completely. And that's what we need to change. Um, and I think, I like to think that things are changing, but it just, not much has changed since I've been in the industry. And that's been about mm. nine years now. So Wow. Wow. Some things have changed, but but not a lot. So. Uh, okay. Um, yo, man, it's so much fun talking to you. Well, I'm going to... Uh, okay, no, ask this question before I ask you the last one. Um, your workout playlist. I love it, and I love that you encourage people to contribute to it. How do you, like, curate that workout playlist? It's fun, though. It's really... It's a fun playlist. Ah, I'm glad you love the playlist. I love yeah. the playlist so much. Um, so... I only put one song in there. That oh. playlist is made by my community. I'm doing the quote right. marks again for anyone listening. Um, because I love this idea that like, and if you listen to it, there are so many eclectic, like it's just so eclectic. It's like one minute you listen to rock, then you listen to indie, then you listen to pop, then you're listening yep. to like an old banger from the eighties. You're like, mm. what is this? This is such a strange <laughs> adventure. I was insulted because my friend the other day said, you have really bad taste in music, Sharifa. And I said, well, I didn't make this playlist. This is everyone's taste in music. And right. I, I just love, again, I think because I, I love um, community. I love like the power of community to getting people active and getting people like motivating each other. Like I, I really mm. believe in that saying, um, Ubuntu, do you know it? Ubuntu, Ubuntu. Yep. Yeah, um, I actually might get that tattooed because I think that's my favorite saying that I've ever heard, my favorite word that I've ever heard, this idea that there is no I, there's only we, and yep. we are a community. And I think there is so much power in that. And so I know it's so silly, but even if just something like a playlist can bring us together, we all, I think most people love music. Um, right. Everyone loves their own music for sure. So right, right, I thought right. a really nice way for to connect everyone is this playlist. And so mm. far, I've had lots of people messaging me saying, I didn't want to work out today, but I put the playlist on and I thought, we can do it. And um, <laughs> I love that. Like, I, I listened to the playlist. I, I did a 5K run to the playlist the other day. My first run since the pandemic and everything happened because they were all cancelled. But um, yeah. I went to a, a test event and there was there was 3000 people there and it was crazy. And I listened to the playlist and I was running alongside the other runners <laughs> and I had the playlist on and it was a moment. I was like, I was going to cry. Like it was Ooh. such a beautiful moment. And I hope that other people um, maybe who have followed me for um, some people have followed me for, for years. Like I hope that they would listen to it and feel that same sense of community, like something to bring us together. Mm. What was that? The photo with the metal float floating in the air. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was I mean, like. I guess you could say it was floating. I was throwing it, but yes. Yeah, yeah, but like you know, the 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 shutter caught it right at the you know while it was in while you kind of levitated it of your of your palm. <laughs> um, yeah, I really do love the playlist, though. I do. Oh, good. Uh, I'm, so I'm going to let you go with this one, though. Something that has been a theme to me, you know, just talking to you, uh, reading about you, and just from your work, something that really stands out is people and community. Uh, and now with the playlist, too, it came up again. Why, why is that really, really important to you? Um, 
So I think that you don't, we don't get to choose our family. You get born into a family, don't you? And um, sometimes as much as everyone loves their family, sometimes your family doesn't always reflect your, all of your values. And so, you know, I think you have to kind of, as you get older as well, and as you move away from your family, my family are in different parts of the country mm. and um, my, old, my old friends from school are in a different part of the country. So you kind of end up making your own community um, and your own family with the people that you choose and the people you choose to surround yourself with. And so I guess for me, my friends and, and my different networks are like kind of an extended family to me, like people who really reflect my values. And, you know, because me and my mom, we get, we'll argue about being vegan until the cows come home, <laughs> you know? Um, and I'll say, but mom, I'm a vegan. She'll say, but eat protein. <laughs> you know? And so we'll never agree on that probably, but, but I know that if I go and speak to my vegan community about something vegan related, they'll get it and they'll be like, yeah, totally. Like cow's milk, yuck. So <laughs> I guess that I think that there's so much power in like being able to find people that reflect your values. That, that old classic Instagram saying of like, find your tribe. Um, and I really believe that finding your tribe can help you to be more confident in the person that you are and also feel connected and, and supported and, you know, but lots of my friends, again, they would also not want to hear about me talking about the environment and veganism and like lots of things that I bang on about. But there'll be loads mm -hmm. of people that would love to hear that. So <laughs> I think it's yeah, yeah. important to have that. So, yeah, I think that's my answer. <laughs> yeah, no, community is important. Sherifa, thank you for your time and thank you for, I mean, always speaking up, right, you know, and, and using this massive platform you have to speak up for people that you know look like you people that have the same skin tone people that are plus size people that deal with mental health and and just seeing that it's okay to talk about this thing so thank you for coming to the sanctuary and just thank you for being you oh thank you i felt very much like i was in the sanctuary being here <laughs> it's definitely a lovely place to be and i appreciate your time today too thank you <laughs>